Welcome to the Inside Startup Investing Podcast powered by King's Crowd. As always, I'm your host, Chris Lestrino. From discussions with founders and VCs to industry experts and special guests, we want to provide you with the inside scoop on all things startup investing. Whether you're investing $50 a deal or $500,000 a deal, we have the stories you need to hear before clicking invest. From the metaverse to spaceflight and beyond, join us as we explore the world of startup investing for all. And now, on to this week's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Inside Startup Investing. As always, I'm your host, Chris Lestrino, and today I am joined by the founder and CEO of Active Armor. Her name is Diana Hall, and she has a really interesting story to share with us on an even cooler business. So let's hop right into it. Diana, thank you so much for being here today. Hi, thank you for having me. Of course. So let's start off with who are you and what are you up to at Active Armor? Sure. I'm Diana Hall. I'm the founder of Active Armor. I started the company in 2014. I'm actually a chemical engineer and I uh, was working in software engineering and I started running a mentoring program for children in poverty. And they would often have domestic violence or substandard living conditions and they would come in with these um, plaster or fiberglass casts that would just get filthy. They would not be able to play on the playground, not be able to take a shower, not even be able to sanitize and wash their hands to have a snack for weeks, even months at a time. I knew that this was archaic and that there was a better alternative to immobilization uh, than traditional uh, casting methods. So I made a little 3D printed cast for the kids uh, and out of the same plastic as Legos, ABS plastic. Uh, and I made them one on my 3D printer and said, hey, take this to your doctor and ask him if you can wear this instead. And the doctor called me back and said, can you make me some more of these? And I worked directly with the FDA to help develop the test protocols for 3D printed wearables like these. Uh, and now we have clinics all over the country and even in 10 other countries. So we're excited about uh, the future of the company. That is so cool. And what a wonderful story. So you, you create this product, which by the way, for anyone who's listening and, and not watching this, uh, she's actually wearing one of the devices and it's, it's really cool. I, I think if I was a kid, I might want to actually break my arm just so I could wear that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but just tell us a little bit about um, how it works. What is the material and how does it compare to a traditional cast? Sure. So you take a 3D digital scan with a free iPhone app, uh, and then we get a 3D image of any body part in the position that they want to be immobilized. Uh, we have a contract with the NFL, so um, with the workers' comp group for the NFL. So a lot of times we'll get scans in positions for blocking, for example, or a guitar player who scans in the position that they want to be able to play, but has a wrist injury like carpal tunnel and needs to be immobilized. So uh, that's the cool thing is that the designs are unlimited. Um, right. The iPhone scans are uploaded uh, to us for design and uh, custom design and manufacturing, and they ship out and get to you in four business days or less. Um, in this new year in 2023, we're going to be printing in clinics. So our providers uh, that are listed on our website will have um, clinic, will have printers right there in the clinic, and they'll be able to print out a wrist device like this one in a matter of two hours or less. Uh, and that way you can get right on your way and get back to your normal lifestyle. Um, 
These are different than traditional casts because they're breathable. You can see how they're custom designed. So if you have a bony protrusion or pins or incisions or anything that you want offset or exposed, or if you want to use a bone stimulator, these are all designed specifically for that patient. So how far up or down it comes in the palm or over the fingers or up the elbow or uh, on your foot or whatever. If you have diabetic foot ulcers and you need offloading in a certain area, uh, that every single design is custom for that patient. If you need it thick, protective, and locked on like a cast or thin, removable, and lightweight like a for carpal tunnel or another chronic condition like a splint, um, these also transition from a cast to a splint during the healing phases. So they can lock on and then become removable later. If you get a long arm, it can transition down into a short arm cast as you heal. So there are a lot of uh, reasons that this is so much better than traditional casting. And uh, just even observing the skin and treating it while you're immobilized. So if you have an infection that comes up in a traditional cast, you can't see it. So it's all the way up your arm or into your hand or all the way up your leg. With this one, you can see and treat it um, right through the cast. If you have uh, swelling or edema come up, you can immediately uh, bivalve the device to give you more space, but you'll be able to see that right inside the cast and make adjustments to it. You just can't do that with a traditional cast. You have to saw them off um, and saws are scary and loud and they are not fun for kids and you can get burns from cast saws and you have to saw them off for every exam and x-ray. You don't have to do that with this. It's reusable and it's recyclable. So all of those reasons, um, this should be the next generation. And um, it's going to be, once the in-clinic printing happens, it's going to be even cheaper than a traditional cast as well. Right now it costs uh, some for us to manufacture and ship it to you. It's still affordable, still covered by insurance, but uh, we are going to try to make it even less expensive than traditional casting so that it can become the standard of care, just allowing you to practice basic hygiene like washing and sanitizing your hands while you're immobilized. Let's dig in on that a little bit because I am really curious to hear right now the process, they take the, the images um, and then is there someone who has to literally kind of design the product or is a lot of the design automated simply by that photograph or whatever, whatever image it is to enable you to build out the custom cast? Sure. So right now, um, the majority of it is automated um, and we're finalizing all of that. It's been two years in progress uh, with a design automation company. So we collaborate with a lot of different companies, the printing company, the automation company, slicing company, um, all of that. Uh, it's a combination of hardware and software end to end from the scanning application through the design, through the manufacturing. And all of us have come together and been working on this project for years to make it uh, more turnkey and, and automate that entire flow. So right now we still have some manual work in it where we're, we're doing some uh, manual design to make sure that it's customized enough for every patient and we're doing the manufacturing in an FDA registered site centrally located here in Colorado and shipping it. Um, but again, in the spring, we should have uh, the in-clinic printing package, custom design and printing package already for providers to uh, be able to roll out. Wow. And in terms of kind of the business model there, then does it become the, the doctor essentially buys a device and then pays some sort of fee to use it each time? That's right. It's software license, licensing. So our company is moving from a manufacturer to a SaaS provider. 
Understood. Now, obviously, uh, from my perspective, um, and I'm, I'm not a medical person, but this would seem like a much improved experience for the uh, for the patient. Um, what have been some of the hindrances to getting doctors and prescribers to provide this in place of a traditional CAS? So with our original model, it was billed as DME, durable medical equipment, which some a lot of them have a DME license to be able to bill for it. Some don't. So, uh, and the hand therapists, for example, are exempt from needing a license so they can bill for it. But again, it was a different billing process than they're used to. And a lot of times in ca casting, they're used to having some materials and doing some labor on a casting. It's not even a, a device, it's a procedure. So mm -hmm. that difference in the billing and in their clinic flow was different because instead of getting, you know, some materials out of the closet and wrapping it on and then walking out the door in 20 minutes, you were doing a digital scan uh, and then uh, uploading it to us. And then the patient was in there, whatever their temp splint was that they got in the emergency room or urgent care for an extra four days while the device came. So um, those things, and then the, you know, the, the pricing was higher than a traditional cast, even though it replaced multiple casts through the healing phases. But for some people who have a high deductible, um, it might not have been uh, made sense for them to pay almost twice as much upfront versus paying in two installments for the cast through the heel. And some of them, their insurance would cover a traditional cast, but it might not cover a splint. So uh, in those cases, we wanted to make sure uh, that the price was as low as possible and the turnaround time was eliminated. And this helps not only the clinicians to be able to make it a standard of care, it helps the patients because they don't have that extra trip in. Um, and it also uh, helps our investors because it drops our overhead down. We're not uh, having the labor in the uh, centralized production facility uh, that have to manufacture and ship all of these. So we're saving a lot in shipping, we're saving turnaround time. It's just a win for everyone. I'm curious with insurance companies, you know, have you done any or been able to conduct any studies where you could actually show, you know, the value of even things like skin irritation or an infection and how it prevents those types of things um, by kind of looking at your own patients to do that? Yeah, absolutely. And we have research studies that we publish all the time, seeing how um, products, how Active Armor and uh, 3D printed casts reduce uh, infection rates and post-surgical complications and how uh, they reduce costs over time because you're not, especially folks with diabetes and Charcot foot, uh, where they're sawing off casts and replacing them weekly. Um, and I know in the NFL, they're cutting off casts and replacing them after every practice. Uh, and so for indications like that, it's um, obviously a cost saver, not only a cost saver, but a risk reducer. And uh, providers see that and they're doing that research too in their own practices. So um, I think that it is going to become a standard of care. And that's our goal is to help improve people's quality of life while they heal. I love that. And I, and I guess, you know, one of the questions that I feel like investors always ask, like, how is it that someone's not already doing this, right? It, in some ways, it just makes all too much sense. Um, but I'd love to hear from you, you know, if you think about that question, what do you think has prevented others from kind of hopping in and doing exactly this? Right. I would say um, that it is really hard to bring in new technology and a new product into an old school market. It's expensive, it takes a long time. I know I've been in this for eight years and you have to make it 
at least as easy as, if not easier than their current uh, method. And you have to, that's the thing is like all, a ton of these benefits are for the patient, right? The patient has improved quality of life. Uh, they can, you know, sweat and shower and all those kind of things. But what is the benefit to our real customer? And our real customer is the provider, the doctor, right? So if it's changing their process in their clinic, what's their motivation, right? So we want to make sure that not only are they able to make better margins in the clinic so that it makes financial sense and a good business case to them, uh, but also that it improves their clinic flow process where they are spending less time um, trying to put casts on and saw them off and reapply them and, and deal with cast issues. 10% of pediatric patients have to come back in for unplanned visits due to cast issues. That's a huge number. And um, that's all published research. So uh, we want to make sure that we are improving their flow and their um, overhead costs and, uh, in, and taking time away from their, uh, their keeping them able to be able to do the casting procedures and make the same, but have the same billing opportunities, but not to have to take as much time as they do with the traditional methods. So yeah, our goal is to, um, that, that's why nobody else is doing it. It's, it's yeah. hard, painful, and it's not turnkey. If you want custom design, it is, it takes a lot of labor and that's why it's taken us two years working directly with software developers and designers to uh, enable this software where you can pick where holes are located and where it's offset from the skin and how far up it comes on any body part in any position. It's very robust software and it's taken us a long time to get to this point. And that's what's going to position us well in the market for you know, sale of the company and uh, for advancing our, for scaling. That's, that's really what it comes down to. And, and we're just, um, we have worked directly with the FDA. So we also have a regulatory advantage, right? Because there are so many things that you need to test for. You need to do a finite element analysis to make sure that the strength on every single device, even though it is custom in design and shape and different body parts, that the um, mechanical properties are maintained so that the device is strong and safe for you. But then there's also microporosity that you might not be able to see, but little tiny fissures in the surface that might trap moisture or bacteria against your skin and biocompatibility during the manufacturing process to make sure that it's not going to cause any skin irritation. So there's a lot to it and it's taken us this long to get there. And I think that's I think those barriers to entry have been strong challenges for us, but also have given us the competitive advantage. Absolutely. And I imagine the uh, having the 3D printing technology where this can be done on site is, I mean, the 3D printing technology a decade ago or even five years ago was not where it needs to be most likely for it to be like on the spot and be ready to go and put it on someone's arm or foot or whatever it is. I used to have to do some pharmaceutical and medical device consulting at one of my my first jobs. And I do remember it's like, okay, if you think of the standard of care as, hey, someone comes in, they have a broken arm, and now you just wrap their wrist. If it's now they come in, you have to measure things out, then you have to send away for it, then it comes back, that could really prevent even an incredible device from being adopted. But if you can now remove all of that friction and have it be something that occurs right there on the spot in a matter of minutes or whatever it is, 
That's really, really powerful. And that is certainly not technology that I'm sure a lot of the incumbent, you know, reps want to uh, want to get into. So I think that's really, really cool. Yeah, thank you. That's what we're trying to do. And as you know, like 3D printing um, has, and that's probably why people don't use it for mass production too much is because um, of the design, the automated design process is difficult. It's, you know, it, there's a lot of manual work in it. And the 3D printers, I mean, there's a lot of maintenance and repairs and troubleshooting and messing with it. And the technology has now gotten to the point where, you know, we tested every printer on the market and we chose um, Fusion 3 to partner with on this because they have made uh, printers that are focused specifically on making active armor as quickly and efficiently as possible. And and it's not just the printing technology, it's it's designed for printing, but also for the purpose that it's being used for, the medical purpose. Um, and then the materials that go with it are, you know, and all of the settings and all of the everything, we've had to make that black box and turnkey and easily reproducible so that you don't need an engineering degree to run it and to do this in your clinic. Any casting tech can learn how to, you know, just... Uh, quickly do the design and, and it shoots directly to your printer and it comes out in two hours and you pull it off the bed and you check for any rough spots and run a little sandpaper over it and pop it on the patient. And that's that's our goal is to make that turnkey plug and play so that there's no reason that anybody can't uh, provide this next gen option. You know, from an investment perspective, how large this market can be how many people per year are getting casts of one sort or another that your company is capable of or plan to be able to make in the future? Sure. So the immobilization market is expected to hit 29 billion by 2025. So it's a huge market. The average person has two casts in their lifetime. So that means between eight and 20 weeks of immobilization of not being able to practice basic hygiene in your life. And some people have more than that. They have chronic conditions like carpal tunnel and things like that. The reason that people with carpal tunnel have a lot of pain and need opioids and things like that is because they have to take their splint off to shower, do the dishes, do the gardening, all of those things. They don't have to do that. That reduces their pain. It redu reduces their opioid use and it, uh, and the benefits of it are huge. There are 3 million new cases of carpal tunnel diagnosed every year. And so there, there's, the market is huge and the benefits to the patient are huge. So if we can even, you know, take a fraction of that market share and convert it into this latest technology, we started out in high-end sports medicine. You know, the folks who are like, the early adopters who are like, yeah, this is a great benefit for my athletes and they can continue to train and, and sweat and, you know, with the NFL yeah, and yeah. those kind of folks. And now we're like, now we're contracted with Children's Hospital Colorado and St. Luke. So now we're able to start hitting that uh, main orthopedic uh, customer. And that's where we really want to want to uh, scale in 2023. Got it. So in 2023, as you're kind of looking to scale what is the sales strategy to be able to enter these, you know, clinics or whatever it may be uh, to be mm -hmm. able to grow the utilization of this business? Sure. So we have a bunch. Um, the first one that we do is we hit all the major trade shows. So we go to AAOS, ACSM, NADA, you know, the big trade shows where people are treating fracture care. 
Uh, and we let them know about it just so that they're aware of it. And we remove those barriers to entry, like the costs of, you know, the scanning app is free now and that the printers are affordable and um, that turnaround time and all those kind of things, we're reducing that. Uh, and then uh, we do a lot of social media marketing just so that there's brand awareness so that people know that we exist and that they have an option and they can, the customer can come directly to any of the clinics listed on our website that markets for those clinics and for those providers. And it also helps people kind of take charge of their health and um, let their money go and their, their business go where they offer the latest tech that they really want. Um, but we also have 1099 contracted sales reps and we just, the really cool thing is we just signed with a big GPO, Metagroup. So we are really excited to be working with a GPO to help us uh, really scale across the country and even outside of the country. Um, those are some of our strategies that we use. And then we publish research abstracts all the time uh, so that providers can see uh, in, for example, the American College of Sports Medicine um, conference journals and all of those, we're constantly um, publishing research to let doctors know that, hey, this is a better alternative for your patients and for your clinic. That makes a lot of sense. And in terms of the business model going forward with, with kind of the, uh, the 3D printer and then selling it almost as a software license, what does that look like? So with the model, they're going to have two options. They can either have the upfront cost of the printer and the setup. It includes a three-day training where we come out there on site, we set up their printer for them, uh, and we train their clinic staff on the whole end-to-end -end process, the scan, the, the design, custom design process, um, the how to start the printer and reload filament and, and how to pop it off and finish it and pop it on the patient and do the adjustments. So that entire uh, three-day trip out is the startup cost um, and it includes the first printer. So they have two options. They can either purchase that entire package up front for $15,000 and then they have just a, a monthly licensing fee. And with the licensing fee, they get uh, their first 20 custom designs for free. And then after that, each custom design is just $75 a piece. And then the materials themselves average about $12 for cast. So they can order as little or as many, as few or as many printers as they want and as little or as much uh, plastic as they want to be able to uh, produce that. So that's gonna drop their cost down dramatically. They can also choose to lease it without the upfront cost. They can just finance the whole thing. It's gonna be around uh, $2,200 a month uh, for two years to, uh, just be able to use it without with zero upfront costs. So uh, we want to give them some options. Some big hospital networks are restricted or it's really hard for them to do a capital equipment cost and some others it's hard to do a lease or a licensing. So we're trying to give them all the options. Very cool. You know, your, your steps to getting this, you think to mass adoption, obviously taking all these sales strategies, having this process of being able to be right in place, be able to produce the equipment right on, on, um, on site. That's really, really powerful. And then does the FDA or um, whatever agency is the correct agency willing or are insurance providers willing to cover the cost of this, um, seeing that it is a better overall quality experience, all of that type of stuff uh, going forward? Yes. Yeah, so 
We use uh, the same splinting codes for uh, billing and reimbursement that are used in therapy for when they take those sheets of thermoplastic and they cut them and they heat them and they mold them to you and they apply Velcro, that custom splinting code that they normally do, it's the same codes. Um, so for example, uh, if you look at Medicare rates, uh, this uh, cast would reimburse at about 390. Uh, mm -hmm. And again, we're going to be the clinics are it's going to cost them less than $100. So the margins are really great for billers who want to bill for DME and for clinics. Uh, and even if it's cash pay and out of pocket, it's still going to be affordable for everyone, even costs less than a traditional cast, which averages around $160 each. So uh, it's going to be affordable for everyone. That's terrific. I, I, I'm blown away by the technology. I think you figured out a lot of the uh, the great challenges of building this type of business. And I know being in the medical sphere could be just horrifically hard <laughs> at times, as I'm sure you've experienced. Um, so for those who are listening, who, you know, are founders or considering becoming a founder, you know, what's your advice to them trying specifically trying to build in the medical space with some of the challenges that you face? What's some of your advice to them uh, if they're trying to chart their course into these types of waters? Sure. I would say just um, pay attention to who your customer is, first of all. I've seen a lot of um, companies fail because they think that the patients are the customers when they need to sell through the providers. So just remember who your customer is and ask them what they're looking for and what they want and make sure that they get that. I've seen people make cool stuff based on what the technology can do but not based on solving a problem that the providers have or think that they have. Uh, so I would say that would be the first thing. And then uh, the second thing is to make the new process as similar to the old process as possible. So it's easy to implement and try to remove those big barriers to entry. Uh, and then I would just say, uh, hang in there and expect it to take three times as long and cost three times as much because uh, that will probably be an underestimate, uh, but also to find investors and find people who believe in you, who see the mission and who understand, who get that it's a game changer, you know, and who understand what you're trying to do with it and who can help you. We used uh, accredited investors that were, you know, silent to start, you know, friends and family and angels and that kind of thing. But now we need you know, it'd be really nice to have some more strategic support where they have contacts and connections to help you um, get investment and get acquired and, and meet your goals as a company. Uh, those are the best kind of investors to get uh, because it's more than just, you know, putting cash in your pocket. They're actually helping you and all of the advisors you can possibly get, uh, definitely learn everything that you can from them because all of those different experiences will help you get a better perspective as a founder. Well, I really appreciate that feedback. And I think a lot of people can learn from the, uh, know who your user is and don't just build something because the technology can, make sure you're actually solving a problem that people have. Yeah. Um, for those who are interested in investing, where can they go um, and what steps should they take? Sure. So. Uh, we are very close to the end of our fundraising round, but right now we have our crowdfunding round on Start Engine. So startengine.com forward slash active armor. Uh, you literally do not have a lot of time to get in there on this round. Um, after that, we're probably going to have uh, a D round open for angels and VCs. 
uh, afterward if you miss that time slot. But the cool thing about the crowdfunding platform is you can avoid platform fees for larger investors. Just uh, let us know. Uh, come directly to Active Armor, and you can fill out the form on our website, and we're happy to um, help you with that process. But also, uh, there are bonus shares for larger investors. You actually uh, get more stock for your money. So um, those are some of the benefits of going through uh, the Start Engine platform. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Um, love what you're building, Diana. Really excited about your company. And, um, and for all of those who are interested, you can go and check them out on Start Engine. Have a wonderful day. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Inside Startup Investing. Before you go, if you enjoyed the show, please give us a like or a positive review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And be sure to like and share our latest episodes. And if you like what you heard and want to learn more about how we can help you manage your startup investing search, diligence, and management at King's Crowd, check us out at kingscrowd.com. Thanks, and until next time, happy investing.